0: them and turn to Genesis 11. Genesis 11. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. And if you need a Bible, uh, please grab one at the Welcome Center on, on your way out. So we're in a series, if you're new design, I've been here uh, for a few weeks. Um, we're starting 2023 with, with a series... Through the book of Genesis, not a, a verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but, but we're hitting all of the, the important um, moments in the, book of, in the book of Genesis, and today uh, we're going to be in chapter 11. If you weren't here last week, and, and Miss Danielle gave us a quick review, we talked about Noah and, uh, and, and, and the story of Noah and, and kind of the implications in our own life, and we talked about uh, the fact that God, if we're going to understand who God is, we have to be able to see he is a God of justice, uh, but also he's a God of grace. And we see both of those themes coming out in uh, the story of Noah. If you are re- reading through Genesis uh, and you get to Genesis 10, not end, end of 9 and into 10, you begin to read about the genealogies that came uh, through Noah after, after the flood. And then we get to chapter 11. And uh, this is where we're going to pick up this morning. Uh, the story of the Tower Tower of Babel. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're just going to walk through this story. I think we're going to be able to do this kind of quickly, actually, today. We'll, we'll see. Mike Nomelli is wondering if that's indeed the case. Mike, I want you to know, this morning, I have three pages of notes. Down from a typical five pages. And, and Mike Nomelli is saying, that doesn't mean anything, Trent. We'll see. So... Uh, so Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 says this. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Again, things then aren't the way they are now. There was a time on planet earth where there was just one nation, not many. One language, not several thousand; one ideology, not who knows how many. One ethnicity of people. Right, not many, one cultural grouping, not many, and they had one common language. They had one common language, and and that's what what kept them together. It's what kept them close, was they had this this commonality about them, and and let me just say, there's there's nothing wrong uh, with the desire to be with people that you connect with, that, that you are like, And that are like you. It's a a natural thing that happens in all of our lives. But then let's continue to read. It said, and as people migrated from the east, they found a they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. In your Bible, if you have a Bible, highlight or circle those those last two words. Settled there. They settled there. And, 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 you know, if you're just reading through this, that might not stand out to you, it may not mean anything to you, but really, in the story of Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel, this is where the conflict point begins to rise up. This is when the plot begins to thicken. Why, why is that? Any, anybody know why those two words settled there is a problem in the story? Sam, I'm going to go ahead and call on you. This is a fun day. Here we go. There you go. There, there you go. If if I had candy, I'd throw you a piece, can't Sam? So so again, if you're if you're just reading through, you might not catch this, but. But this is the problem in Genesis 11, is that they settled, instead of doing the thing that God told Adam and Eve to do in Genesis 1, and the thing that God repeated to Noah and his family in Genesis 9, and that's to subdue, to scatter, to inhabit planet Earth. And so right here is the conflict point in the story. Continue to read. It says in verse 3, it says, and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks And burned burned them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. Let me just stop right there. They had an idea. The, the, The people of the earth at that moment in time had a grand plan. And we should, and we can give them kudos for their ingenuity. They wanted to build a city. And at this point in time when it says that they, they, they made bricks again archaeologists people who know way more like there was not it didn't they didn't exist so they actually had to create a thing that we know is bricks and we don't know how they did it what how much trial and error they went through of of mixing you know the 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 the, the sand and concrete and tar and what I don't even understand what I'm saying but we don't even know all that went into it I don't know how much, H- well, here's what, I, here's what, here's, we don't, what we really don't know is how much HGTV they watched to figure out how to do this thing, right? But they invented this thing called the brick, right? And all of a sudden, they've got this hardened structure, and like, we should do something with this. And somebody said, okay, let's see how big... Of a, of, a, of a tower that we can build, let's, let's begin to use this brick to build structures that we can live in and dwell in. As a matter of fact, let's make a beautiful skyline for our city, and that's where that phrase, let's build a tower to the heavens... Right when when I grew up, when I when I was taught the tower the tower of, the, of about the tower of Babel, it was this I, the, the the conflict point was more the idea of building the tower to the heavens. Oh, uh, they thought that they were going to be able to build a tower to get to God. And that was kind of how I was taught it and how I always thought it. But but really, from a, a practical standpoint, all they were saying is let's just make a city with a nice, beautiful skyline. You drive into a city and you see the the tall buildings right, it's just, it's, it's, it's stunning, it's beautiful, that's what they were trying to do, so it wasn't the fact that they were trying to, to create something beautiful, the, the, the problem was, if you continue to read the next phrase, when they said this, so that we may make a name for themselves, or for ourselves, so that we may make a name for themselves, for ourselves, I mean, somebody said, well, yeah, that was just self-esteem. They just wanted to be proud of themselves, like a, you know, like a like a kindergartner who does a school project and comes home and says, Look, mom, look, dad, look what I did. Aren't you proud of me? Right? And, and there's nothing wrong with a child wanting to, to, to please mom and dad, to impress mom and dad. But that's not what was going on here in this story. This wasn't Uh, humanity's attempt at at having some some self-confidence and self-esteem, this is pride. This is pride. The sin of the Tower of Babel is rooted in the pride of the people who had forgotten this simple truth. It wasn't their job to make their name great. It was their job to make God's name great. Put that up on the screen. It wasn't their job to make their name great, but to make God's name great. That's why the psalmist said, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And, and we're going we're to touch this down and, and hopefully make some, some, some modern day applications as we, as we walk through this. And, and I can't help but, but teach and think about the Tower of Babel and think about how a lot of churches tend to operate if if churches aren't careful they they can in attempt to do something great really attempt to make their name great to to let their name be what gets noticed their brand is what gets noticed what their their accomplishments is what is what gets noticed and so 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 it's easy i think for churches to, to look at this story and go, hey, we should, we should press pause every once in a while and, and ask ourselves the question. wrestle with the idea of, are we doing what we do as a church to make our name great? Or are we doing what we do because we want God's name to be great? Because we want him to get the glory. See, pride, self-deception is sneaky. It, it comes without us even knowing it. And, and, and perhaps, again, the motives of the people as they said, hey, let, let's do something, right? And, and they, they start making these bricks, and they're like, hey, we could, like, like they're, they're, at the start of the process, their motives could have been pure, but at some point in time, it became about them. And, and, and as a pastor, like, that scares me, because I know this church is made up of humans. Aren't you glad that, that I believe that? We're all humans, and, and I'm human, right? And, and I can be guilty, and, 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 and listen, I'll confess to you. As I look back in my 25 years here, there have been seasons in time in this church that if we're being gut level, just let's, let's just pull away the, 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 the mask. I, I think sometimes people that were here wanted to make here great instead of making God great, and that's a that's a that's something that, that is that's easy to do. And I put myself in that in that category, and I, and I we've had to repent of that. And we don't want to go back to that because as a church, our goal, our mission, our aim is to glorify God, not to glorify Zion. That makes sense? I think we I think it's okay to to press pause and wrestle with that and, and think about that as we read through this story. They they asked, what will be good for us? What will make us look good? Instead of what will make God look good? What will glorify him? What does he want? Again, they confessed again. They said, let us make a name for ourselves. And at the the end of verse four, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Like, they were, in this moment, again, confessing their flat-out rebellion. We don't want to be dispersed throughout the earth. We don't want to do the very thing that God has told us to do. To scatter, to go, to inhabit this earth, this planet that I have created and made for you. No, they said, we don't want that. And so again, you see, as we unpack this and think about it, this is, this is just pride and rebellion. The part of humanity. They wanted everyone together. They wanted everyone connected. They wanted everyone to think and look and act the same. This is, and you could say it this way this is their attempt at heaven, right? This is their attempt at heaven, creating their own version of heaven on earth. I mean, one day in heaven, we will be together. We will sing with one voice. We will be completely unified. We will all get along. But this side, or this, this, this space here is not heaven, okay? So let's continue to read. Verse five, and I think this is a little bit humorous. I don't know that it was intentional humor, but when I think about it, it, it makes me laugh. It says in verse five, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. You know, it's like you know, God in heaven is like looking down and he's like, huh, huh? I 'm pretty impressed with that. I 'm going to come down and take a look at what you 've done. Wow, impressive. I don 't know that that was what the author intended, but that's kind of the image that I have in, in my mind, is, is you know, th- this idea that like, they tried to impress God, and God humors them and says, "Well, let me come and look at what you 've done," as if he didn't already know and didn't already see, right? Th- th- that from their perspective. What they did was great and grand and glorious, but God says, you know what, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. I can't help but think <laughs> about all of the times in my life where I've done something to try to impress God, to, to make God think that I'm something, to make him think that I'm someone, that, that I'm all that and, uh, and a bag of chips. And God says, silly, silly Trent, you're nothing. You're nothing apart from me. You have nothing to offer me, right? So let's keep reading the story. Why is it that God didn't want this to happen? Continue to read. We can see the story continue to unfold. It says, and the Lord said, behold, they are one people, and they have... All one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them now again let's, let's, let's there 's some good and some bad, right Listen god God created humans with the capacity to create with the capacity to be imaginative, with the capacity to do things that again are seemingly impossible and it feels like today we live in a world that, that some of the things that we see in, in medicine and technology and design it just it, it's, it blows our minds the, the ingenuity of humanity the, the, the intelligence of humanity right but we also see that in, in our culture in the day that we live that the, the danger of, of all of that is we forget God we forget God and so in this moment, God's saying, look, it's it's not a bad thing that, that I've made humanity creative and, and with, with the ability to, to, to learn and grow and expand. That's the way I've designed it to be. But but if if humanity's not careful, they're gonna, they're gonna, forget, they're gonna forget me. And he talks about this idea that they're one, are one language, they're they're one people. And that's a bad side to that, right? And again, without going off on tangents, um, listen, one world anything isn't a good thing. All right? One world anything isn't a good thing. If If you begin to run it through this story logically, think about it. Whatever it is that that city was, it would have been occupied by whoever was there in that moment. But... Eventually, more people would be born, and more people would be born, and more people would be born. And eventually, there would become people who were insiders and outsiders. Because eventually, you would have to have people expanding out from what was built. And one of the things about human nature is we do have an insider-outsider mentality often. It's just part of the, a part of the fall, part of our um, sin nature, and eventually what would have happened is the people who were there at the beginning would have begun looking down at people who weren't there at the beginning. And there would have been all kinds of, of conflict that would have eventually happened. The, the evil would have been done to those who would have eventually been forced outside of the city just because of capacity issues. And again, I'm, we're conjecturing on some of this, but I'm just, I'm just trying to apply, apply some human psychology and sociology to what was happening in that moment. But nonetheless, this isn't what God wanted. God did not want all people at the same place, at the same time, speaking the same language, embracing the same culture. He did not want this. He made it clear in Genesis 1, and he made it clear in Genesis 9. So so now, God's like, okay, I gotta do something about this. I gotta do something about this. So we continue to read what happens next. Verse 7. He says, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Simple, but brilliant. God says, I'm gonna confuse their language, right? And the result of confusing people's language would have been an inability to work together, an inability to just stay together, because we couldn't understand each other right and, and and again is that did that what does that create it created what god wanted in the first place people who would ha- inhabit eventually all of planet earth and again, we don't. We don't know. We weren't there. I, I don't understand how it would have happened. Maybe, maybe in that moment, as people were talking, they're listening, and I'm like, you know, I'm talking to BJ, but BJ can't understand me, and I'm, and he's like, I, what are you saying? I don't get it. But then I, am talking, and all of a sudden, you know, Maggie understands me, and Maggie's like, I understand you, and you understand me. I understand you. Okay, let's partner up, and then we go together. And BJ's like, I'm, I'm talking, and he goes back to Angel's, like, I'm talking. Do you understand me? And Angel's like, Yeah, I understand you. Do you understand me? Okay, cool. And they partner up, and then they you know, they go and look for other people who begin to, like, we understand each other, we can hear each other. And, and, and over time, what ends up happening? Those different languages begin to huddle together, get together, begin to make plans together, begin to spread out together. Which, again, was what God wanted in the first place. The temptation in that Season of time, the temptation of that moment for humanity probably would have been to think something like this God, you messed up our plans. We had a plan, and it was a good plan, it was a great plan. But, God, you messed it up. And the truth of the matter is, He did. But the question is, why? Why did God mess up their plans? Ultimately, it was because he loved them. And ultimately, it was because he was trying to save humanity from itself. Right? And and here's where we pause and, and ask the question, has God ever messed up your plans? And have you ever questioned and said, God, why did you mess up my plans? I had this plan for my career. I had my plans for this relationship. I had my plans for the future. And, and it was a good plan. And it was a great plan. And this was a plan that was going to take me places. And God said, No, 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 no. I, I'm going to mess that up. I'm going to knock that over. And, and and looking back, you go, Whew. I sure am glad God messed up my plans because I was about to make a big mess of my own life. You see, sometimes God messes up our plans simply because he loves us. We learn, we, and I know it's a, it's, a, it's a step of faith and it's a step of maturity to, to get to the place where when, when you look at your life and, and you look at the things that are perceived to be God messing up your plans, to be able to go, God, thank you. Thank you, God, that you messed up my plans to marry a girl named Rosebud. You had a better plan for me. That's a true story, by the way. <clears throat> we should be thankful that for, for, for the times when God messes up our plans. God was thinking long-term, and we would do the same. We would do well to do the same thing. And again, we're seeing, what we're seeing I know we don't read the Tower of Babel with this thought in mind, But to me, Genesis 11 is another example of the kindness of God. Not the judgment of God. Not not God coming in and going, well, here, if you're not going to do right, I'm going to force you to do right. I'll just mess up your languages. That'll teach you. That's not, I don't think that's God. I don't think that's what God's motive. I don't think that was his heart in that moment. It was love and it was kindness. And it was him just one more time saying, listen, (laughs) I've asked you to do something. You didn't do it. I started over because you didn't do it. I asked you to do it again. You're not doing it. I promised you that I wouldn't start over again, so we're not going to go back to this, but in order for you to get to where I want you, and that is to subdue, cover the earth, I've got to do something. And what he did was actually brilliant and quite simple, but he did it out of love and kindness and grace not out of frustration or anger or bitterness. So when we look at the, uh, planet Earth and we see cultures and we see nations and we see people groups and, and all of the, the, the beauty that is the diversity of planet Earth, you're looking at the kindness of God. You're looking at the kindness of God. Let me take this down another, another angle because I think it's important. Pastor Trent, Pastor Trent, Pastor Trent I've heard you preach for years about the importance of community and unity community and unity Pastor Trent, you preach about that a lot we need to be together, we need each other we we need to be unified I have a question Pastor Trent isn't that what Isn't that what was going on in the Tower of Babel? Weren't they just seeking some community and trying to maintain unity? You know better. But it's easy for us to kind of think that, right? And so the question is, is the desire for unity bad? Is the desire for community bad? No. Like, I'll continue to preach unity and community, we need unity, we need community. I'm just not going to Genesis 11 as proof text because that's not what Genesis 11 is about, right? There's plenty of other places that I can take us as a church family to hopefully lead you to understand that God wants his people unified, that he wants his people to be in community, right? So 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 don't you know you can't you can't you can't use this story to discount unity and community right but the problem in this story is in their desire for unity we want to be the same we we want community we want to be together what they were doing is they were elevating themselves and that's where they missed the mark They were trying to make a name for themselves. And that's why you can't say, well, they were just being unified and they were just trying to be in community. No, 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 no. They were trying to make their name great, right? And you also can't skip this part. They were ignoring the mandate, the cultural mandate that God gave to go into the whole world and to subdue it. They ignored God's mandate. Now, here's here's where we're going to get a little personal. Churches, we can do the same thing. All right? Zion, I love you. I love us. I love what God's doing in us. And I want us to be unified, to be of one mind. I want us to be in community. Uh, There should be something in us that that wants to be together. Being together is good. Being in fellowship with one another is good. Sharing meals is good. Doing life together is good. Those are good things that we should always want and desire. But if our longing for unity and community trumps, becomes more important than God's New Testament mandate to go, to spread out so that the gospel can continue to spread to others, then, then we may not be building a tower to the heavens, but we're guilty of the same thing as humanity is guilty of in Genesis 11 caring more about ourselves and and what we want than we care about what God has mandated and called us to. And, And I'm talking specifically about the gospel story being spread out from amongst us, going out with the gospel. See, we can say it this way. God wants us to scatter if we really want to matter. What was Jesus' final words? Go. Go. Not stay. Go. Go out and make disciples. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And and again, when when we read Genesis 11, we need to understand it in its historical place, and we need to understand its significance in the, the overall biblical narrative and, 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 and see it for what it was, right? This is, this is when God created cultures and languages, important moment in the history of humanity, and, and we need to get that down first. But I don't think it's wrong for us to kind of slow down and go, okay, what, what about us today? Where, where's the lessons for us today? And I think they're there. I think there's some truth for us to glean Today. And let me give you a couple of them. Zion, it isn't about us. We should never strive to be a church that does things that makes us feel good, that makes us look good, that makes us sound good, that makes us proud of our accomplishments. That should never be the goal. The goal should always be God's glory. It is God receiving glory in what we do? It is God receiving glory for, for what we're, we're attempting? Or are we somehow seeking it, looking for it ourselves? We become Babylonian, Babel, right? Babylonian Christians when we refuse to scatter beyond the four walls of our homes and of our churches. You know, I, I'm just going to plant this seed after we're done with the book of Genesis. We're going to do a series on on sharing the gospel on evangelism. Does anybody remember what we preached in January of 2020? Remember the series that we started 2020 with? I don't expect anybody to know the answer. I'll let me help you. That year, we had decided that 2020's theme, that our focus for the year was going to be on evangelism, sharing the gospel, helping us to engage others with the gospel. And so we started 2020 with a series called Who's Your One?, for several weeks, we preached through it. and We talked about it. We started getting encouraged about, man, I'm praying for this person that needs Jesus, and I'm going to learn to share the gospel, and I'm going to learn to share my testimony with others. And we're like, man, this is cool. We're going to we're we're turn ourselves outward, and we're going to start reaching people. And it was healthy, and it was good. and It was necessary. And then March happened, and the planet shut down. <clears throat> right? Right? Whatever, whatever. How have we processed that three years later? But here we are three years later, Zion. I think we need to challenge ourselves to begin thinking outside of these four walls again. To begin thinking beyond, like, unity and community, which I think we have. I I sense both of those things at Zion. I do. I sense the spirit of unity. And I sense a growing love of one another, of community. But what we can't miss is that still it remains the mandate of Christians, of the church, to go, to take the gospel outside of the four walls. We must continue to think about our gatherings. This is important, right? This is important, but we also need to be strategic in our scattering. Gathering and scattering, both matter. Both are needed. It's kind of like manure. You put a whole bunch of it in a pile, it just stinks. You spread it out, it can do some good. And, and Zion, that's that's. Pastor Trent said that he doesn't want us to be a pile of manure as a church. That was really encouraging. Thanks for that, Pastor Trent. You bless my heart today. Just get the illustration, all right? I like when we're together, but if all we are is just being together, at some point we'll just start to stink. So let's think about spreading out, let's think about th- taking the gospel to others who, who need it. And one way to be gospel centered people is to remind ourselves of the gospel. Remind ourselves of, of what this is all about to begin with. And communion gives us an opportunity to do that. And we're going to go old school communion right now. And so I'm going to ask the kiddos that are going to help with that to come and, and to, to take, <clears throat> take, a, take the trays. We tried to practice a little bit before, um, before the service. So kids, here's what you need. Just make sure everybody gets one of those including me, I need one. So somebody throw me one. Thanks, buddy. All right. We, we, go down those rows out there, too. There you go. There we go. All right. Don't you love how organized we are? So formal around here. Worship team, you guys can come up here if you want. All right. All right. I think everybody's, I think they're good there. <laughs> Just pass them out. That's it. Organized chaos is what I will call this. There we go. There we go. Thanks, kids. You guys are awesome. So if you're new or newish to Zion, regularly we will press pause to remember Christ's sacrifice. Why? Well, ultimately because Christ commanded us to remember his sacrifice. And depending on your background in churches, you may do this once or twice a year. You may do this every week. You may do it once a month. We do it at least once a month and probably gonna start doing it even more often. But every time that we pause to reflect on Christ's death, right, it gives us an opportunity to slow down, search our own hearts, to to look around the room and say, these are my brothers and sisters that I want to experience unity and community with, but today as we participate in communion, also look around the room and say, these are the the brothers and sisters that, that I want to lock arms with to take the gospel to others. And so what I want us to do today before we, before we take communion is I want you to, to pray for somebody today that you know that is, 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 as far as their testimony or their story goes, they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And would you pray for them that, that somehow this year would be the year that they are invited to follow Jesus? Encouraged, challenged to follow Jesus. And then how about this? How about pray that perhaps God would use you to be the person to invite, encourage, and challenge them to consider Christ in their life. So let's let's take a minute to pray and we'll get ready to sing. <laughs> for this wafer you know what this is but it's a picture it's a way to remember Christ's body so as you take the the wafer take the bread consider the fact that what Jesus endured on the cross the brutality the pain that he suffered it was for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Let's take and eat. In the same way, the the juice... Again, as a reminder, it's a a picture. It's a way for us to slow down and think about Christ's blood. And the scriptures are clear. Without the the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Literally, Christ's blood was was necessary for our redemption, for our salvation, for our forgiveness. And his blood was spilled as he hung naked on a cross 2,000 years ago so that we could be made right with God we could be forgiven of sins our lives could make sense and and, and our future and eternity would be secured let's take and remember his blood shed for us and if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ we'd love to help you take that step let's respond to God's word and his spirit by standing and singing together